Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. It's been another wild week in oil prices, and we're going to talk about that soon because diesel and oil are the lifeblood of the trucking and transportation industry. That is, of course, right after the fine people who work the business every day. But you need to drill for oil, and that is why we call the show Drilling Deep. Our guest of the week is Rob Ad- Rob Abbott. He is with Lytix. He's had a long career in trucking safety, and we're going to talk to him about how the roads are doing as the pandemic fades into history. $1.30. That's a number from the end of this week of the spread between Brent crude, from the world, which is the world crude benchmark, and the price of ultra-low sulfur diesel on the CME Commodity Exchange. That's $1.30 per gallon. It means that the barrel of diesel is worth $1.30 more than the value of a barrel of crude. Well, why is that a big deal? It's a big deal because a year ago, it was about 30 cents. For all of 2021, it averaged about 37 to 38 cents. So as you can see, we are in truly unprecedented times. That sort of spread we are seeing now is up in record territory. And what it means is that while the price of oil overall is rising, the price of diesel has risen even more. Looking at that CME commodity exchange, the growth in the price of Brent crude oil since February 1st through March 25th was 33.5%. For ultra-low sulfur diesel, it was 51.5%. And why is this? It's because Russia is a major supplier of diesel to the world. Russia is Europe's largest supplier of diesel and related fuels, sending over three quarters of a million barrels per day for use in European heavy machinery, transportation, farming, fishing, and for power and heating. And I'm quoting that directly from a story in Reuters this week. Russia accounts for around half of Europe's diesel imports. So in that sense, the numbers make sense. Of course, in the U.S., diesel is primarily a fuel of trucking. An article Thursday authored by our CEO, Craig Fuller, here at Freightways, reviewed how the trucking market is showing signs of significant deterioration based on rates and the outbound tender volume index on sonar. I've been on the road this week at back-to-back trucking conferences. One was the Truckload Carriers Association annual meeting in Las Vegas. The second was the Mid-America Trucking Show. That's in, uh, that is in, uh, I got to remember where I am now, right? It's in Louisville. (laughs) And that's where I'm recording this from. And there was lots of talks about, lots of talk about declining rates, though it didn't seem people yet wanted to acknowledge that higher prices for consumer goods might be taking a toll on demand, and the result is lower demand for freight. That should create downward pressure on the diesel market. So what's going to win out? A drop in Russian diesel supplies, which even though they mostly go to Europe, still have an impact on world markets, or a looming drop in diesel demand in the U.S. as a result of softer freight markets. The one thing I can say is that the decline in U.S. diesel demand that should come through the drop in freight volume means that all-time high spreads between crude and diesel prices are unlikely to hold. The price of crude is the major determinant in the price of diesel, but the value of diesel relative to crude in the spot market is another key factor. And when you've got a spread that is close to $1 per gallon higher than it was a year ago, you can see that the higher price of diesel at the pump is most definitely not just a function of crude prices being higher. If you were a trader today, which spread would you bet on? That diesel will drop relative to crude because of the weakness in the U.S. freight market or that it will remain elevated because of the loss of supply from Russia? It's the big question for diesel markets floating under the surface. I'm going to bet on all-time high diesel spreads relative to crude not being able to hold because of that declining trucking market. We'll keep you posted here on FreightWaves. We're going to switch gears here, and, you know, it's always fun to do drilling deep out on the road. 
in the real world among trucking oil people. I'm at the Truckload Carriers Association meeting here in Las Vegas for the second time in six months. TCA is trying to get back on track to its usual March schedule. It held its 2021 meeting in September because it really couldn't meet a year ago. And now we're here at the Wynn Resort in Las Vegas just six months later as the group tries to get back to normal. Our guest today is here at the meeting. He's Rob Abbott. He is the commercial leader of Enterprise Fleets at Lytics. He is also the former VP of Safety Policy for the American Trucking Associations. And Rob is going to talk to here with us today about the latest in safety, fleet management, risk management, and market trends affecting truckload professionals. I have first have to ask you, Rob, first of all, thanks for joining us here today. You're quite welcome. Thank you. This is some meeting, isn't it? Were you here in September? I was briefly. It is quite some meeting, and it's it's really fantastic to see the number of people who have returned. Yeah, I think the, you know, of course, everybody's kind of spread out all over the place, but when you go into the uh, you go into the showroom, you know, with all the, yeah. the exhibits. Yeah. I think there's maybe three times as many exhibits as there were last time, at least twice. Yes, indeed. It, it, it's, it's just so busy in there. And last time it was a little bit dead. I think people were a little bit cautious, but but they're smoking out there. So anyway, so anyway, why don't you first talk about Lytics so we get that perspective on what you do? Yeah, Lytics is a, a video and telematics provider to the industry. And so we've been in business for about 20 years. We started originally as a video safety provider and, and pioneered the space by creating devices that uh, captured video of crashes, but also changed driver behaviors. And we've now evolved into a, a full-featured telematics company that does lots of things for lots of people. Yeah, once you get in on one, this is what I've learned in trucking, once you get in on one kind of technology, to scale it up from onto others is much, much, much easier. That's right. And that's what the industry is demanding now. That's All right. right. So let's, let's talk about safety. Right now, the, the, the data on private vehicles isn't good. Right. Uh, you know, we, we had this, this big drop in traffic at the start of the pandemic. And I guess there were people who were hoping that this might start to signal a, a new safety trend. Forget it. It's actually worse. Right. I saw a headline the other day that I think kind of summed it up. It said the bad habits that people picked up during the pandemic are still here. Uh, from the trucking side, uh, how much are you getting dragged into that? How much do you think is being caused? Uh, have you seen any deterioration in trucking driver behavior? Well, I mean, certainly from our perspective, our, our clients who are using tools like video safety tools are improving their safety performance, and they've managed to insulate themselves somewhat from that. But it's really important when you look at the, the national trends to put that in context. So we, yes, we did see a drop from 2019 to 2020, but the trend is an uptick in 21 for trucks, truck crashes and truck fatalities. Similarly with cars, I think we've seen a significant uptick in 2021, but you have to put that in the context of mileage, right? So how much did people operate? So um, that mileage is always a lagging indicator. So it's always important to look at the number of crashes and fatalities per million miles. And historically, those have been very stubborn numbers to change. And it's because we engage in patterns of behavior. We do them over and over again. And so as as mileage and exposure increases, so do crashes. So are you seeing it worse or better? I mean, I'm not sure if I was fully interpreting your, your answer correctly. Well, for the trucking industry, it, it certainly was better in 2020, but that's probably because they weren't sharing the road with as many motorists. Um, and we know that, you know, in the majority of car truck crashes, car truck drivers are, are responsible for the, the act that caused the crash to happen. And that's particularly true in two vehicle, vehicle fatal crashes. The research is really clear that in about 65 to 75 percent of two vehicle fatal crashes involving a car and truck, it's a car driver's fault. You take a lot of those cars off the road, you have a safer trucking industry. Yeah, you 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 talk about the numbers being stubborn, and they're they're being stubborn even when the safety improvements on trucks 
just continues apace. There's, there's always something new. So obviously you have the, the cameras that you have. Right. Uh, you have more braking systems, the sensors, that sort of thing. And yet these numbers you're saying really aren't going down that much. But rather than focus on the bad, let's focus on some of the good. What are some of the, the leading safety improvements that have been made in terms of hardware uh, or infrastructure on the truck in the last few years? Well, you touched on a couple of them. One is autonomous braking systems. And if you talk to the fleets that, that deployed those, especially some of the early adopters, they'll tell you that it was an absolute game changer and that they didn't always prevent the crash. But they improved crash severity, right? And they made them, they made what would have been a fatal crash into an injury crash. And so that's certainly very welcome. The other one is the one I see a lot, which is video safety. And originally it was an exoneration or subrogation tool. Let me have evidence to show this wasn't my fault or that somebody else should be paying for this claim. But what really started there evolved into a tool to say, let me look at some of the leading indicators of behaviors that we need to address to prevent the crashes from occurring in the first place. Right. And the other thing I always fascinated by is the coaching. When uh, a camera system sends into the trucking company that somebody, let's say, had, had a, an aggressive braking incident or something like that, and the driver is coached right there at that moment. That's right. And so, uh, you know, the, the way the systems had originally evolved was that we would take all these events, which would be triggered by a number of things, an accelerometer setting in the truck or a, a signal from the ECM. We would trigger events. We would look at the things that are going on and we would send them to a human review team to look at what's happening here. Is this, did the driver stab the brakes because a squirrel ran across the roadway or because he was looking up from his cell phone, right? And that's very important to say, hey, if he's just looking up from his cell phone, we've got to get that to somebody. We have to address it. But those systems have really evolved now from what used to be, hey, let's look at this. Let's send it to a manager to, in the moment, the device can actually see through using machine vision and artificial intelligence, can actually see what the person's doing, whether or not they're wearing a seatbelt, whether or not they're using a cell phone. And in the moment, alert them, hey, you got to put your phone down. I know that drivers for a long time resisted these sorts of things, but as they've grown, are you finding that resistance dropping and drivers are just accepting it as part of the job? It, it, increasingly so. So there, there's really a twofold answer to that question. One is that, you know, video's everywhere now, right? You go to an ATM, you go to a store, video's everywhere. We all know that. And, and it's certainly true. It's, uh, it's something about, it's generational, right? So younger generations of drivers are, are more accepting of these things, but also because it's more prevalent within the industry itself, right? So just about every fleet has some sort of video product today. Uh, and we are finding that while initially reluctant, um, it, the, the fleets that turn it on find that initially the drivers are reluctant, but they really grow to accept it. And we have a number of good case examples where fleets said, look, we're going to deploy the tool, but we're only going to have the lens pointed out at the road. We're not going to have the one at the driver. And then they evolved and they turn on the one at the driver and they said, let's, let's have it create an event when he's not wearing a seatbelt or when he's using his cell phone. And they expected a lot of noise, a lot of pushback. And what they found was there was some anxiety, but when you educated people and walked through it, it really was minimal impact. How how is the penetration going for cameras? Uh, I know it's it, it's not massively expensive, but it is an expense. Uh, I think for a fleet, it's probably obviously easier to handle it because it's across so many trucks. But I mean, this kind of this this I would always thought the, the camera should be at one hundred percent of trucks. Yeah. It's not. Right. Is the penetration growing at any kind of significant pace or is it just kind of a slow crawl? Well, we've reached a point where there's almost every class eight trucking company in America almost has some sort of camera system deployed uh, because the, the ROI is very, very significant, particularly with respect to exoneration and subrogation. They understand that. Um, what we're now seeing is that those fleets that, that had higher claims costs 
you're operating on, you know, at high speeds in a heavy vehicle on major roadways, right? So you have high claims costs when you have a crash. The ROI is very substantial. What we're now seeing is, is that that same trend is following to smaller vehicles, services fleets, and people doing pickup and delivery work because their insurance costs are rising as well. Uh, so the, so we're not talking about cameras just on Class 8 vehicles. You're talking about on the small, like a box truck. Box trucks, uh, delivery vehicles, you name it. Right. I guess, obviously, an owner-operator, um, there, there's no coaching value. <laughs> They're out there on their own, but there obviously could be significant benefit if they are in an accident, but are they kind of wary of the cost there? Well, a true owner-operator who isn't, isn't leased to a motor carrier would certainly want to have exoneration and subrogation video. You would hope that they would want to have video themselves so they could look back and say, hey, let me look back at how I was driving to see if there's something that should change. That's not as common, of course. Those who are leased long-term to motor carriers sometimes have a program in place where, as a condition of contract with the motor carrier, they have to have the system deployed. And while the fleet will not say, look, we're going to discuss each behavior with you, they will tell you that, hey, your relative risk score, your frequency of events, your number of severe events has to stay below X threshold as a condition of your of your contract with us. I see. So you mentioned autonomous braking uh, as a big uh, gain uh, in safety. What are some of the other improvements that you think are, you know, that, that maybe people don't real about, realize about and that you're kind of excited about? Well, I mean, we have to look more broadly because the, the picture on truck safety involves what are we doing about other motorists? Right. And we have to accept the fact that really safety is a, is a question of choices. Right. So we we could have very, very safe highways if we require that people only buy cars that have all the modern safety features and we limited their top speed at some very low number. But we don't do that. Right. Similarly, there are some things that we haven't done that we could that are within greater reach and we could do them and they could be material game changers. The, probably the most significant one is passive alcohol detection. We know that a significant number of crashes are alcohol involved. We can't necessarily say they caused a crash. We can't say that if alcohol wasn't involved, the crash wouldn't have occurred. But we do know that a very disproportionate number of alcohol involved. There are oftentimes single vehicle crashes. That tells us something. And they often happen uh, in the wee hours of the morning. If you take out alcohol out of the picture, right? You you significantly change the roadway safety picture. There have been, and there currently are capabilities to do passive alcohol detection. Think of an interlock device today. You have to do something active. Passive devices would have a sensor in the visor or maybe skin sensors in the steering wheel. These things exist today. If we had the fortitude to require them and deploy them, that would be a significant improvement for highway and safety. And that would be on every car, not just people who've had alcohol issues? Correct. Wow. I mean, that, that's, that's a pretty big jump. That would be a pretty big jump. And again, it, it's a, a question of choices, and that's what safety is. Yeah, you, when we were discussing this in advance, what we were going to speak about, you talked about, um, you talked about trade-offs, and that certainly sounds like a trade-off. What are some of the other safety trade-offs out there? Well, I think the fleets are facing one these days, which is, you know, when we look at driver hiring standards, I think we would all want someone who has 10 years of experience, has never had a moving violation, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's just not practical. And so one of the things that fleets are faced with today is, um, you know, when I'm seeking to fill roles, what are my standards for filling these roles and what's acceptable to me in terms of risk? And sometimes you have to look at, is it better for the truck to sit idle than it would be to be uh, in the hands of an unsafe driver? And so one of the trade-offs that fleets face is, are there ways that I could look at a driver who maybe poses a slightly incremental, greasy safety risk 
but I can manage to that safety risk. I can train to it. I can adapt to it. So as an example, in our industry, one of the things we see is that the in the moment behavior change, that at the end of the trip, the driver looks at an app and it says, hey, you know, here are your unsafe behaviors relative to others in your fleet. And can you address those things before a crash occurs? Now you were um, with the American Trucking Associations and you were, I guess, director of safety? Uh, Vice president of safety. Okay. Uh, What you've had a transition from the Trump administration to the Biden administration. Yeah. Does it matter? I mean, these are not big issues that you would think could be a, a big division between a Republican and Democrat, but there's, you know, in this in this polarized country, I'm sure that's not the case. Uh, have you seen any kind of change in the Biden administration approach toward highway safety from what the Trump administration was doing? Yeah, and they won't always be evident to the, uh, to the independent eye, but, you know, understanding that, that politics is tribal, right? So when uh, the when a new president elected, he selects a secretary of transportation and then somebody to head the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. And you would think that all the initiatives there would flow, that we'd have a common interest in safety. But what you will see sometimes is uh, economic and social agendas sneak in or creep into the, the safety world. Right. So, for instance, when there's historically been an emphasis on looking at hours of service rules, the the undertone might have been safety, but it's also around labor and how long are we making people work and how much time are we making them work. Similarly, there's been uh, in prior Democratic administrations a look at driver pay to say, look, um, should we instead pay people by the hour? So these are common themes that you'll hear when Democrats hold the the White House. And so uh, you shouldn't be surprised to see some of these common themes in the research that they're doing or in some of the uh, the questions that they put before their Motor Carrier Safety Advisory Committee, or things that sort of sneak into bills. And uh, so you'll see common themes there. They will, on the surface, be safety issues, but you'll understand that behind them sometimes are, are other agendas that, that fit uh, the narrative or the platform of the party. Right, now, let's talk about FMCSA, because it's been they've been having a tough time holding on to people over there. Amira um, Josie, I guess, shocked the world by deciding to go back to New York City. Uh, the new Deputy Chief is uh, Robin Hutchinson. Are you familiar with her at all? And what are your not, thoughts? I have not, and I have not met her. No. Oh, okay. Well, okay. <laughs> what, what were your thoughts about you, you when you were over at ATA? You obviously worked with FMCSA Indeed. a lot. Did you? Uh, why have they had such a hard time holding on to people? Is it, is it coincidence, or is there something about the job? Well, they've had a number of, of very good administrators who are, are very, uh, very committed to improving safety, listening to the industry, which is really important to understand the industry that you're impacting. Uh, but it's a tough job, and it's a tough job for a number of reasons. One, first of all, you have to live and work and commute in Washington, D.C., something I've done, right? So that's, that's never easy. Uh, but the other is, is that you have to, you're, you're at the sort of the, the marriage point between um, sort of a political agenda, uh, the realities of what Congress will make you do and what the industry is asking for. And so the Secretary of Transportation might say, look, here's some things that we really have to do and put a focus on. Uh, Congress might mandate something completely contradictory to that. And at the same time, you might have the industry advocating for something else. And so it, it's it, it's a juxtaposition of views and it, it requires somebody to be very patient and very good at, at uh, managing those uh, various viewpoints. Yeah, I've only been with Freightways four years and I guess I've seen she's the fourth. Yeah. You know, yeah. so anyway, um, you have seen a lot of video in your time. Indeed. Uh, most of it, you can, might be very boring if you splice it all together and there maybe it's like 10% of it that you just slap your head and you can't believe what people are seeing. So what are your cameras showing you some of the, the more amazing tricks out there? You know, it, it's really interesting and it's somewhat eye-opening. Um, you're right. When you look at uh, driving generally and think about it, over 20 years, we've amassed over 150 billion miles of driving data. 
right? So we're, we have lots and lots of video that we see the roadway and what's going on and the correlations between behaviors and crashes with really good data. What it shows you is, of course, if you're driving on an interstate across the middle of the country, most of it's quite dull, right? And most people are very, very safe, but there are anomalies. Uh, and some of them uh, absolutely outrageous. Um, but there are things that common behaviors we see that, you know, you have to change. Most people, when you uh, when the device detects cell phone use and sends an alert, say, put the phone down, uh, they do it. Some people don't, even if you tell them time and time again. And these are, dri- these are truck drivers. Truck drivers, right. And so then a manager is involved, et cetera. And what we found is that most people will change their behavior. There is a stubborn percentage of people who won't. They they uh, want to watch football games or read books while they're driving. Um, the other thing we see, which is stunning, is the behavior of other motorists. And truck drivers have known this for a long time, is that um, while most people in their vehicles are quite safe, there are people that do really outrageous things. They cut off trucks, they slam on their brakes, they change lanes without warning. Um, quite sadly, we see that uh, some people choose to take their lives by stepping in front of tractor trailers. It, it's something that we've known goes on for a long time. Uh, it's It's... Very hard to see it happen. Yeah, well, and I live on Long Island, where we have a very active Long Island Railroad, yes. and um, it, it happens there too. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, it is it is something to see, and and you you know you see the interaction that goes inside the cap. But again, the, these are anomalies. We have over seven hundred thousand devices out there operating all day long, tens of thousands of clips looking at every day. The vast majority of it immaterial. Most people are very very safe, but in any population that size, you will see some anomalies. What, um, what do you, let's go back to the federal rules. I mean, if you could have one federal safety rule implemented, what do you think it would be? Gosh, for trucks or cars? Well, either both, because obviously, as you pointed out here, they're very much inter- interconnected. Yeah, I mean, it, what we're hearing from fleets that have autonomous braking is that it really is a game changer. And so if you take their their data at its word, uh, mandating that would be important. I, I do think, you know, and of course, it's tainted by, by my role, but I do think that requiring video, not just road-facing video, but driver-facing video, and the ability to change people's behavior uh, and identify it is really important. We, we, you know, we don't want truck drivers texting or looking down at their phones or watching football games while they're driving. But I do think for other motorists, really, it is about the alcohol equation. Uh, when you look at uh, crashes and the percentage of crashes that are alcohol involved, uh, doing something about that would have a significant impact on uh, fatal crash rates. You mentioned autonomous braking. What's your general view of autonomous trucking in terms of safety? The, the advocates of autonomous trucking, they really are talking about a significant imp- improvement in safety. I took a ride in, a, in an autonomous truck just one time, right. and it was in, it, it, I heard a great line. The truck slowed down to let somebody in, and uh, the person who was accompanying me on the ride said, the truck has no ego. <laughs> That's right. It it uh, it doesn't mind that it lets you in, right? It's the most polite driver on the road. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it really is very exciting to think about the potential. Uh, I know it frightens a lot of motorists to think there's a vehicle that nobody's operating that vehicle, and unfortunately, that's going to cause us to set a very irrational standard for those vehicles. And the irrational standard is this: you and I might be safe drivers, but we're not perfect. We will probably require that autonomous vehicles be perfect. So, hypothetically, let's say the fatal crash rate for car drivers is, uh, I believe, it's currently. 1.12 fatal crashes per 100 million miles. That's very small, yeah. but it's still a number. Sure. If you had a fatal crash in an autonomous vehicle, right, even after millions and millions of miles, some would say, oh, see, it happens, yeah. right? We can't allow that. So uh, I think we saw one 
Tesla crash sure. with a, maybe we've seen two, right? And those have been shocking to people. So they might have one, but that's not the standard. The standard is, are they safer than people? And people, many of them aren't safe drivers. <laughs> so, anyway, we want to thank Rob Abbott here. He's, he is live with me at the Truckload Carriers Association annual meeting in Las Vegas. Rod is the commercial leader of Enterprise Feet, Fleets <laughs> Analytics and a former official with the ATA. And thanks for talking safety with us here today on Drilling Deep. Thank you very much. Look forward to doing it again. Sometime. So you have been listening to Drilling Deep. We are part of the Freightcast family of podcasts from FreightWaves. You can find us on all the leading podcast platforms. I've been your host, John Kingston, and please join us again.